0: Hey, everyone, Kara here from the Kara Golden Show. Look, I've started and scaled companies, but when I first started podcasting, figuring out the workflow for this business was a real challenge. There were so many moving parts that I needed to learn from scheduling and recording to editing and promoting each episode. But once I streamlined the process, things got easier. I was able to focus more on bringing in amazing guests and delivering great content, which was such a relief. Thinking about this experience reminded me of the challenges many face managing their business every day. Whether you are the CEO or working supporting one, you need the right tools to streamline processes, especially when it comes to shipping and handling orders that's where ShipStation comes in. ShipStation makes it easy to manage your shipments from all your sales channels. ShipStation automates tasks, prints shipping labels in bulk, and keeps your customers informed, freeing up your time to focus on growing your business. If you're looking for a way to simplify shipping and make your business more efficient, ShipStation is the solution. With ShipStation, you can integrate with all the places you sell online, optimize your shipping, save costs and time too. Personally, ShipStation has been a lifesaver for me. Its automation features allow me and my team to manage orders from anywhere. Print shipping labels from just a click. Yes, it's that easy. And the cost savings? Unbelievable with discounts up to 89% off carrier rates. And who wouldn't want that? Plus, an easy-to-use dashboard, robust reporting. Oh, and did I mention that over 130,000 companies have leveraged ShipStation to grow their businesses as well? ShipStation just makes it easier so your business can grow. And yes, even when you're on your summer vacation, ShipStation is it. Work less and ship more with ShipStation, the innovative tool that helps turn your shipping challenges into opportunities for growth. Go to ShipStation.com and use code CARA, K-A-R-A, to sign up for your free 60-day trial. That's ShipStation.com, code Kara. Use code Kara for a free 60-day trial. That's ShipStation.com, promo code Kara.
1: I like to say, The game belongs to those who stay in the game. I am unwilling to give up,
0: That I will start
1: over from scratch as many times as it takes to get where I wanna be. I wanna be. You
0: just wanna make sure you will get knocked down, but just make sure you don't get Hi, everyone. It's Kara Golden from The Kara Golden Show, and I am so excited to have my next guest here. We have Jane Condon, uh, the comedian, speaker, and host of Funny After 50 podcast and Four O'Clock Funnies, and (laughs) uh, she is a friend. We know each other from this amazing group that we're both on called The List that is uh, amazing, amazing. And I have just been so inspired by so many of her stories over the years. And she was, the Associated Press named her an upper crust Roseanne. And the New York <laughs> Times says says that Jane had the audience cracking or cackling uh I can't even read all the the fancy (laughs) words that they put in here, cackling, guffawing, and in hysterics as she sliced through marriage, husband, kids, politics, and so many other topics. She was named one of the 10 comedy best bets in Backstage's annual comedy issue and uh, so many other accolades. She appeared on ABC's uh, The View and Lifetime, so you may have been able to see her if... uh, You're all listening here today and just so many more things that she's done. But more than anything, (laughs) she makes people laugh and really enjoy themselves, which is, uh, it's uh, really a superpower in my mind and and oftentimes (laughs) just too forgotten. So anyway, welcome, welcome, welcome.
1: Happy to be here. Thank you. It's nice to talk to you in person.
0: Usually we just talk online. This is so different. How wonderful. I'm so excited. So first off, like, how did this all get started? How did you figure (laughs) out that you had this gift? Well, I did talk a lot as a
1: kid. They used to pay me to be quiet. Uh, They would pay me 10 cents between our hometown of Brockton, Mass, down to the Cape one way and a quarter if I were quiet round trip, which I never got. But basically, I was the youngest of four, so I wanted attention. And um, I was not voted funniest in high school, which kind of hurt. Not that I remember Mary Del Sordo was, Um, she became a principal, but who's on the Kara Golden show now, Mary? Huh? Huh? (laughs) So funny. And also, I think most comedians have a great pain somewhere in the background. I like to say we're all like birds with a broken wing. And then someone after my one person show came up afterwards and she said, Jane, for God's sakes, we're all birds with a broken wing, which is true. But I had a bipolar brother. My dad died when I was 15, blah, blah, blah everybody has something, you know?
0: So, so true.
1: I was just, there'd be little problems in the family. I like to say drinking was like the starter problem in our family. If only people thought we were just alcoholics, but I was sort of the little kid over in the corner going, oh, I know that's a problem, but look over here. And you know, my dad was very funny. It's Irish, right? You're a Kenan. You must, you must be funny. Yes. It, yeah. it
0: started out, uh, started out as the, uh, Yes, I'm, I'm a little bit funny. I think there's there are people who are funnier than I am, for sure. Well, you're
1: a CEO, okay? That's, yeah. that's like enough. Well, I think it was hilarious of you when you went in the day before you were getting your C-section to that guy at Whole Foods and said, could you stock my drink on your shelves? You're ready to give birth. This poor man, how is he going to say no? That was how hilarious. How is he going to do
0: it? Well, you know, what's, I think the most funny thing is when people just kind of live their life and just sort of, it runs into, humor runs into them. And like you said, sometimes it's, I I was just on a podcast myself and talking about this and talking about that exact story. And my purpose in actually getting product on the shelf was that I had too much Product in my garage, and I needed to be able to get my car into the garage, and it really was—it was
1: that immediate a problem. Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, people understand, especially if you're living in—I mean, I was living in San Francisco at the time—and I kept thinking about if I put my car on the street when I'm in the hospital, or (laughs) you know, my nanny's watching my other three kids while I'm going to deliver a baby, and she's not going to be able to go in. Move my car around the block in order to avoid a ticket because there's going to be three little kids under the age of six sitting in the house. So it's very logic. I'm very logical, but sometimes my logic can actually, and particularly when you're no longer in the situation, but it's longer down the road. But that I think is something that you touch on too, which is really funny. And people over the years, I would share these stories with people. And then they would remember them. And then they would oftentimes be introducing me to other people. And they'd say, tell me that story about the Whole Foods again. And (laughs) I'd say, "Uh, okay. (laughs) And I would do that. But I think that that's where humor, the the ability to kind of laugh at maybe your challenges along the way, maybe things that seem very serious at the time is something that I think you've just truly Mm -hmm. been the master at. So when you were in college, did you know you were going to be a comedian
1: oh no no i tried to go straight for a long time first i was a teacher at a boarding school i'd gone to a little catholic co-ed high school in massachusetts called cardinal Spellman high school we call it cod Spell. and i wondered about these prep school kids so i taught english there which i wasn't qualified i'd major in political science but they needed a cross-country ski coach and a rock climbing coach so i got the job then I went down to New York and I worked in journalism for many years. I worked for an in-flight magazine. And then I worked for Fortune magazine where we have an overlap because you, you worked for Fortune. Is that yeah. crazy? I was pre-martial. I was post-martial lobe, though.
0: Well, I didn't actually get the job. At, I thought
1: you got the job in circulation no, or
0: something. Well, I did, but I didn't get a job at Fortune. I aspired <gasps> you know, to be at Fortune, but I Jane got that job. I no, didn't it's, get that it's job. It's really
1: okay. I should not have been there. <laughs> I was like a square peg in a round hole. You don't put a funny person in a business magazine. I remember they said you could take any courses you want and they would pay for it. So they're great. So I went to take an accounting course because I'm very responsible. I got to learn more. I'm working in a business magazine. And halfway through the course that night at NYU, I walked out and went into the script writing course next door. And I thought, yeah, this is is where I should be. But I did bring one little bit of joy to Fortune magazine. I started the Fortune softball team. It was in Central Park League. We had a great t-shirt that said, Fortune, the journal of crass materialism. And we lost every game except one, uh, which another team forfeited because they didn't show up. I was the pitcher, so I was athletic as a kid. And we lost, but we had the best time. And I got everybody out of the office, and it made us a little bit of a community. But from there, I moved on to Life Magazine. And from there, we lived five years in Japan. And people were a little serious there. So when I came back... I would lecture about Japan, but people would laugh. I'd tell them like about giving birth in Japan, how the Japanese ladies don't say anything. And I feel like screaming at the top of my lungs, you know, because I'm American and it's our way. And I remember the nurse said, she's going to, she's going to be quiet. You are disturbing the harmony of the floor. And I'm the lady I don't care about the harmony of the floor. I'm having a baby and I need happy Do you have a necessito? Could you can oh, speak Spanish. I mean, the whole thing was just, but when I came back, I found again, lecturing on Japan, but would tell funny stories. But I found I'd really miss the American sense of humor. So I thought, you know, I'll just try this out, this comedy thing, go out to an open mic. So every Wednesday night, I like to say my husband was out of town and I was unsupervised. Where were
0: you living at this point?
1: Now now we're in Connecticut. I grew up in Massachusetts and uh, we lived in J- New York and then Japan, Tokyo. Yogiwe <laughs> Hara. And um, my first son was born there, which was quite an experience. But because they all do natural childbirth, you know, we think, oh, it's a big deal. They don't take the drugs. They just, they just do it. Yeah. They just do it. And so anyway, then we moved back to Connecticut to be near New York. And then I had my second child and I just started. It's not that I was sneaking out on a Wednesday night to open mics, but I was sort of sneaking out on a Wednesday
0: (laughs) night. The kids were covered. They had a babysitter. And was your show in New York? Did you, I mean, did you go to a mic down in New York City? I started out in the suburbs. My actual
1: very first show was our son's nursery school fundraiser. I just hopped up on a Fisher Price picnic table and I started telling jokes. I didn't really have any jokes. And a Swedish dad afterwards said, I thought you were just drunken housewife. And then my second show, now most people start at the clubs, right? So I do a nursery school fundraiser. Then I did uh, an Episcopalian church in Greenwich and very patrician man came up at the end and said, you are so funny. I, I almost laughed out loud. And <laughs> so. <laughs> It just I kept going this. like that. I, I actually got some of my comedy chops out in the suburbs and they just let you go on forever. And then when I went into New York, you do it sort of five minutes at a time in the clubs. But the system in New York was they put you on at 1 and 2 a.m. I couldn't do that. I was a mom, you know. Yeah. But I recently posted on Facebook. I found, my kids are the expiration police. They found a box of oatmeal that I left this note to them on, uh, Quaker instant oatmeal saying, dear guys, I left out the bowl, add some hot water to the oatmeal. See you later. Because <laughs> I couldn't get up early the next day. And they kept the, uh, <laughs> the boxes still. They, my kids are like the expiration police. But anyway, that one was really old. I ate it during the pandemic though, because I was... Hungry, who cares?
0: What happened on that first day when you actually got up and you did your? Do you remember the yes. beyond oh. the first oh, New yeah. York no. one?
1: It was a f- oh, the first New York one. Okay, that was at the comic strip, which is uh, about 81st and second. And it's it is amazing when people laugh, it's sort of a drug. That was my first New York one. My first Connecticut one was at Treehouse, and the guy who was the king of Connecticut comedy said um uh come here he said uh uh, you're a very funny lady but uh get out of this business while you still can because it's very addictive and he's right it totally is like it's it's like oxygen to us and it was it was very interesting more on a social justice line that i started out in the 90s and they would say real misogynistic thing and, and you know that was um they were scared of gay people and the gay guys and I would sit there and when they would say bitch for me or whatever for them we just wouldn't laugh and it took about a year but they stopped saying bitch and the f-word about gay guys and comedians just want to get a laugh you know yeah, and yeah it was that is our oxygen and when we didn't laugh at their jokes Then they're like, Oh, did I hurt her feelings? Did I hurt her feelings? So it was, you know what I like about it is it is its own little power. I'm kind of normally more, I don't know, shy, an introvert, but a friend Mm -hmm. of mine said, Yes, you're an introvert, Jane, but just you're a situational extrovert because if you put me on a stage, I just light up and I will take over. (laughs) It's my own little power. But in real life, you know, I listen. If, if you ever saw Robin Williams live and I did a smoking fundraiser with him, anti-smoking, of course, and um, what a gentle soul and so vulnerable and so open. There are those of us who are just, they're the brash ones, and then the ones, um, he's so sensitive and vulnerable, I felt like I could almost see through him. He was just, I, I feel very lucky to have just met him even briefly, you know, but it's just fun to make people happy, you know?
0: Yeah, no, I think that that's absolutely right. So being a writer and then being a comedian, <laughs> I often wonder, people think that they're different things, but you don't just stand up and just start typically. I mean, you actually have, there. there is somewhat of a script, but I think, you know, now we, we talk about EQ, right? right? How much of it is based on you reading audiences?
1: Oh, well- Before you do a show, whether it's a club, corporate, whatever, fundraiser, my first question is always, who's the audience? Because I have so much Mm -hmm. material now that I can like tailor it to them. I'm doing a college reunion on Sunday, Mount Holyoke. (laughs) That's where my daughter is. Well, it's a great afternoon school, let me tell you. And these women, this is like the fourth time they've hired me. (laughs) Oh, that's hysterical. It's very funny during the pandemic, I think everyone who ever hired me is coming back because you can be entertaining on Zoom. It, it's not quite as good as in-person, but you can anyway, your daughter's getting a great education. So I'd start by saying something like, you go local up front," And I would say, you know, something like, you know, great to be here at the school that gave us Emily Dickinson and Wendy Wasserstein. And by the way, you also gave us Ada Howard, who was the first president of Wellesley College, which was my college. And it was another Mount Holyoke woman who started Barnard, where my sister went. Mm -hmm. So there are a lot of, and one of my best friends went there. I just, I was happy actually to have a little bit of my education be all girls. Because again, I was a little more shy and back. And once I finished with Wellesley, it's like, well, give it your best shot, men. Because, you know, as Kamala Harris would say, I'm speaking. (laughs) You know, I'm just not afraid of men. It's a very odd thing that it does To you, it's a secret sauce. I don't know why, but it works. Yeah, she absolutely loves it. So I have to tell you my hint story. Yeah. Okay. Tell me. So I was on a podcast called Monday Scoop. And in her green room, she had peach raspberry, which I still love and adore. However, it was kind of supplanted by blackberry. And now, really, pear is my favorite, if if I'm honest. These are all empty. I kept a, a loaded one here. But when I told you I was trying to get off of Diet Coke and you sent me a case forever after, I have a little Facebook live show called Four O'Clock Funnies every Thursday. And
0: I just always line up Which my- Which is excellent calls. by the way, it's so awesome.
1: <laughs> but, but you know what, it's, it's well-deserved because it turns out not only was I trying to get off of Diet Coke, it turns out I have acid reflux and not the heartburn, not the guy sitting on the couch watching football, I have throat burn probably from years of doing comedy. And it just is easier. They said no carbonated beverages anymore. Yeah. So hint was the perfect answer. So thank
0: you. I've heard that from a ton of people. So, uh, okay. So going back to your career. So, (laughs) so, uh, you know, you've done a lot of different things. Obviously you really enjoy comedy. So what Moments are you probably most proud of in your career? Oh,
1: well, you were talking about a script and ad-libbing on stage. Yeah. And mostly, I think comedians work very, very hard to make it look very, very easy. And I did come it as a writer, but people come it as actors or are better, faster. So I had to kind of back up and take some acting lessons as well and get my performing skills up to the level of my writing skills. So all that said, one of the high points I'm gonna name two uh of my career was I was asked to be the commencement speaker at Wellesley. I don't know, I guess Nora Ephron wasn't available or something. I and, love this. You know, Hillary Clinton was you should already done it a couple of times. And they're like, Really? Uh but the kids had said they wanted a writer and a comedian. The seniors choose, and I'm they're like, I felt sorry for them and did get somebody more famous, but I think I actually gave quite a good speech. And my favorite moment of it was actually an ad lib. When you've been doing this for more than 20 years, you trust yourself on stage. And I had the script because they had to pre-approve the script in mm-hmm. case I use swear words, which I don't, mother effer, you know, but why, why would I use that? Look at this face, it doesn't go. Um, my persona is uptight Connecticut mom. So I'm not gonna swear. That's it. All right, so I've got my script, but then, the urge to say something just came over me, and I just pushed aside the script. Now, I got 550 graduates, their parents, grandparents, all the people who paid for it, the teachers, the alums, the trustees. And yet, I couldn't stay on script. And I said, you know, as I look at it, this sea of eager, educated faces, I'm thinking, I have a son in the audience, and he is available if anybody's interested. And I'm there, could you stand up, Todd? And he went to NYU grad acting. And God love him, he stood up. And he went, call me to the girls. I got so many phone calls from the mothers. It was just, it was, so that was one of my favorite moments. And what I love is that it was an ad lib. You know, just trust yourself in the moment. Oh yes, it's big audience. But I guess my other one was being on Last Comic Standing. That was sort of a breakthrough thing. And then I got a manager. And the first year, here I'm talking about perseverance. And I know you know all about perseverance. You wouldn't be where you are. Yeah. And first year. The audition was at Madison Square Garden in New York. Three minute audition. At two minutes in, they said next. I got in there at eight thirty in the morning. Three thirty is the audition. Okay, fine. Next year, it's at the Comic Strip. It was twenty two degrees. I had all my little ski one piece outfit because it was so cold outside. I get inside. One of the there were the two talent bookers from the Tonight Show. One of them liked me. One of them didn't. End of story. The third year, it was held at Caroline's, another great comedy club in New York, and. I left my house at 4.30 in the morning. I was on the street waiting at 5.30 in the morning. At 5.30 in the afternoon, they cut off the auditions. I did not even get seen. And this is why you do festivals, this is why you do clubs. You just want to be seen, Oh, you want to be heard too. The next year they just used old contestants. And then the fifth year, and this is why friends are everything, I think in any industry, a friend of mine called and she said, Jane, you know, the open auditions for Last Comic Standing tomorrow at Gotham Comedy Club, people are already lining up on Tuesday. It was Tuesday. It was March. It was raw. It was cold. It was awful. I threw my sleeping bag in back of the car. I said, you know, to the babysitter, I'll be back. Ken was out of town. I was unsupervised. It was a blessing. I drove in at 7.30. I was in line on Tuesday night. And at 10.30, people knew I knew I worked at Gotham and I knew Chris Massilly. A bunch of us went up to him and said, hey, Chris, could you give us numbers where we are in line? I was 56 in line and I was there the day before. And I go back to my car. Uh, I have to admit, it was a Lexus. It's like Camping Greenwich style. But uh, I put down the back. I did not put on my ski hat because I didn't want to have hat hair for the audition. Right. At five o'clock in the morning, went back online. And there are lessons to be learned from homeless people. If you stand on cardboard, your feet don't get as cold. The doors opened at nine. By 11 o'clock, that said, I did my audition. And they said, "Uh, please come back tonight. And they had the 30 best comedians in New York. Amazing. And somehow I won audience favorite in New York. And my year was also Amy Schumer's year. I think she's gonna do okay in this business. That is awesome. You just do it and do it and do it and do it and do it. And it is the pleasure of doing it. But the reason I keep doing festivals is, and I do more fundraisers and benefits because the young people in the clubs they don't want their mother up there. Although my son says, actually, Mom, we do like hearing you because we have mothers, you know. Uh, I have to tell you, my boys, I really, I should give them a lot of money. Uh, they give me so much material over the years. My husband was actually the last thing to go into the act. And the owner of the comic strip, you have to audition, you know, to become a regular. And I was already a regular at Gotham, but I like the comic strip. And he said, Jane, okay, We've watched you over the years. You're doing great now. But I am not gonna pass you at my club until you start talking about your husband in your act. And I'm there, please, Lucian, I wanna stay married. Yeah, exactly. But now it's like You've done it. Yeah, no, he's a gold mine too. I say my husband's very cute. I married up in looks. His initials are KGB, so he doesn't monogram a lot. And sometimes he gets things out of proportion. Do you know people like this? He'll be there, Jane. You left the light on in the kitchen. Which to me sounds like, Jane, there's a body in the kitchen. Yeah,
0: I I, I like this one
1: too. There's a new survey out that says the average married couple talks for four minutes a day. And I'm thinking, is it really that long?
0: You know, so he just goes on and on. His section has definitely grown. I absolutely love it. So do you ever get imposter syndrome um, and, you know, and, and just feeling, hearing amazing Comedians, it seems like from your industry, I'm always curious about this. Something that I always thought about when I started my company, Hint, that I wasn't in the beverage industry. And so I assumed that I wouldn't be able to be successful and that I had to actually hire people in who came from the beverage industry in order to be successful. And yet today, what I would say is that it's the people that are actually kind of thinking about the problems that are out there and, and who sort of come on the scene, right? That, that you're, and, and I would say that there are people who in the early days of Hint, they were counting me out because I was a tech executive. I wasn't a beverage executive. And today, you know, I'm not as much a tech executive. I'm a beverage executive that is actually, that came in and just was willing to learn and roll up my sleeves and, I think storytelling was just not done as much, even when I first started. You know, my yeah. company and sort of my purpose and my reason. But is it the same in comedy? Is it? Is it kind yeah, of the?
1: Actually, it is. It
0: is. I like to say,
1: the game belongs to those who stay in the game. Mm-hmm. You know, if you just keep doing it, if you just keep getting on stage, if you just put yourself into as many different situations as possible. I've done crazy shows, uh, fat cats in Buffalo or I something during a snowstorm. I don't know what I was saying. But I mean, I try not to say no to, to any show because each one kind of makes me grow. Mm-hmm. Although people, if you had breast cancer on the East Coast, you would have heard of me. <laughs> it's like, I've just done so many fundraisers that way and Planned Parenthood and all that. But I guess you you have to be slightly delusional to be a mm-hmm. comedian. Steve Martin said that. I totally agree with that and just obsessed with it. I I can't get enough of it. You know, we're driving up to Nantucket. I'm listening to my friend, Erin Jackson, is on the new Tiffany Haddish thing on Netflix. And I felt badly I couldn't be looking at the phone, but it's not good when you're driving to look at the phone. So I could only listen to her. But we do a, a tour called Ladies of Laughter. And that was the hard part of the pandemic was every, I had a nice around the country tour coming up and everything got canceled, just went poof. And then we were rescheduled for the fall and that went poof and rescheduled for the spring poof. And now they're scheduling us for fall of, of this year.
0: And where do you think comedy is for today? So people, you know, obviously you've, you have your podcast, you have Facebook live and I mean, how are people showing up these days and sort of reinvigorating this industry when they have to, I mean, what do you think is kind of the what do you see happening? Back in
1: March, it was really pivot or die, mm-hmm. and we all learned Zoom in about a week <laughs> because you had that's to. where the audience yeah. was. And I, I, do have friends. I have one wonderful uh, transgender comedian friend who won't do Zoom because she's a. I understand it. She's a whole presence, and when she goes on, it's forty-five solid minutes, mm-hmm. and we've all been reduced to five ten-minute shows. I'm doing 30 on Sunday. I'm
0: so ecstatic. And it's tough to do a five. I mean, that's like for me, for my keynotes, I even think, you know, it's tough for me to do less than 30. That's a Jenga puzzle.
1: I, I do. I find shorter, harder, much harder. Because it's like, you have to pick a slice of who you are and do that. And I like people to know about, you know, all the different parts. And I've learned also to talk a little bit more like what I told you about my first shows, I put that in my act now. It's I really feel that in general, forgetting about me, forgetting about the pandemic, when I started in the 90s, comedy was more set up punch, set up punch. Mm-hmm. So you'd have your premise, then you make the laugh. And I started out telling stories. And they're like, no, 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 Jane, you got to set up punch, set up punch, because you get more laughs per minute on that. Okay, what's interesting is I've seen the evolution of comedy to be more storytelling. So within a story, they'll have set up punch, set up punch. Mm-hmm. But it's often a lot more storytelling or you're building a case. But I like being in so many different situations. I've entertained at Memorial Sloan catering, and this is like just the patients. The first time I did it, I had a hard time because both my parents had died of lung cancer and I'm scared of hospitals. To us, a hospital is like a roach motel. You go in, but you don't go out. You mm-hmm. know, you check in, but you don't check out. So I was scared. But it, it really felt like uh it made me feel good to put a smile on their face. Would tell them there's a two IV minimum and uh <laughs> what else... And then I was telling them, you know, who else had had cancers? I'm there. Okay, so I'm going to name a celebrity. You tell me what kind of cancer they have. Susie and Summers, and they're yelling breast cancer.
0: You know, Rudy Giuliani. getting people and to laugh Day. at this. Oh my god. Yeah.
1: Well, but then one volunteer came up and said, "Oh, you shouldn't do those cancer jokes." And I'm there. I think they know why they're here. You know. So it's I've met the most wonderful people in the world. It, it just we come in all. Sizes and shapes and colors and ages mm-hmm. there's really if you could make people laugh there's not I am older, and being female is actually I think great in comedy because everybody remembers you interesting from the the time I did in the clubs in New York they like, oh, you're the Greenwich mom, but I and like all the guys, it's kind of like uh you're the guy who told the joke about his wife I mean you can't but we stand out the women and it was, um, I guess, another nice honor I got was I won Ladies of Laughter years ago. I won the She-Devil Comedy Contest a year and a bit ago. That was actually interesting to me because I took a chance on that one. I just wanted to make the finals. I like meeting new people and that challenge of the five minutes. Well, when you're in the finals, you got 10 minutes. But I did the story about asking my husband to marry me. I did some, you know, rat-tat-tat up front story asking my husband to marry me and rat-a-tat-tat at the end and and then I won and I'm thinking well part of it is you you get to the stage where you don't care you know you do your best Who's the guy on Saturday Night Live Phil he got shot by his wife (laughs) and he was
0: wonderful Phil Phil Hartman oh yeah Phil Hartman yeah yeah yeah. I did not know that Phil Hartman got shot by his wife yeah you gotta be careful who you marry yeah yeah I think
1: That was quite shocking, but he was designing album covers in LA and his friend, John Lovitz had already gone to Saturday Night Live and other groundlings had gone on and they hadn't picked him. And he said, you know, I just got to the, I don't give a shit stage. Mm -hmm. And I just started saying what I want to talk about. I quote Cardi B about this. She said, started speaking my mind and tripled my views. I hate most of the rappers, but I like the female rappers because they,
0: they say the truth. Yeah, they do. I think it's so true.
1: It's really—I mean—they're really inspirational. But I—I I love Megan the Stallion. She's their body, yada 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 I mean, she just made me laugh. You and are Lizzo so funny. hair toss, check my nails, baby. How you feel Feeling good as hell. She is a big girl. I shouldn't worry about my weight. She's not worried about her weight. Yeah. You know, she's she's fabulous.
0: She is amazing. We should all
1: take a lesson from that. Yeah. So. I'm a big fan of the female rappers.
0: I love that. And what is the biggest lesson you think you've learned from just performing? I guess don't give up. You know, mm-hmm. Winston
1: Churchill, never, ever, 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 ever quit.
0: You just keep going. My sister's very sick, and so it's useful to me right now. I love that. I hope your sister is uh, doing better. She will. Yeah. And I think that it is really important just to make people laugh. And you are, that's your superpower. (laughs) I mean, you really, you really do it. And I I love that. So thank you.
1: Oh, thank you. Oh, this was just a ball, Kara. Fun. Lots of fun.
0: Where can people find you?
1: Oh, every Thursday, facebook.com backslash four o'clock funnies. We're the happy hour before the happy hour. I do it with three other women comedians.
0: And it is hysterical. It is so funny. Thank you.
1: It's fun. It it, it is four really... o'clock Eastern. Yes. Yeah, sorry. Yes. Um, one o'clock Pacific. One o'clock Pacific. I have an LA boy. I like to say, I one in LA, one in New York. Nobody's married. No grandchildren. And if I don't get a grandchild soon, I'm going to order one on
0: Amazon. Wouldn't that be great? You could do that. <laughs> Probably could. Hopefully not. I think it's
1: great. You have four kids. We. Um, I'm the youngest of four. It's great to be the kid in a four kid family. A little yeah. harder to be the parent.
0: God I was bless. the fifth, so I was I was the uh, oh the last one. So which yeah, I uh,
1: oh we babies are totally spoiled.
0: Yeah, I well, love. Actually, it's that's another story in and of itself. I think my my sister, my oldest sister, thinks that I was spoiled. I wouldn't say I was spoiled. I actually think she. When you think about the first child, actually gets a lot more by the time they oh, get yeah. to. Uh, here's my comedy act. By the time the parents, you know, have you, they're like, just don't get in trouble. That's yeah. it, right? <laughs> they, don't cause like, me. Don't
1: don't go to jail, right? Don't be president.
0: Just you know, they know too much no at drugs. that point. What what could happen? And uh, so I always uh, will argue with my oldest sister that uh, that I said I wasn't spoiled at all. You actually got way more. You had the first clothes, right? I got all hand me downs, and you oh know, my god. I could I had, argue that all day
1: long. I, had two, I have an older brother, two older sisters. And when I was in first grade, my sister who's sick now was in sixth grade, and she had the most beautiful Chesterfield coat. You know, it's like a camel hair coat, right? Yeah. I wore all hand-me-downs. That's why I don't care about clothes now, because like, people just always gave me clothes. I didn't have any choice. It was fine. But I, I remember wearing that Chesterfield coat to school, and it was so big on me, I had a train it just kind of dragged along after me. (laughs) I love it. and But I felt like I I was the S-H-I-T. And that's another thing I have to do too. Before I go on stage, usually say one word to myself. For one year, it was connect. Uh Just look in people's eyes. But another year, when I was feeling more imposter syndrome, as you say, I just gathered myself up and I said, before going on stage, because I can be as insecure as the next person, I just gathered myself up and said, I'm the shit.
0: There you and go. And then I go on stage. <laughs> I love it. Well, and be your best friend, right? I, I think that that's oh, the most yes. important thing. And sometimes you need oh, to yes. do that. Well, Jane, this is incredible. And uh, where <laughs> can people find you? Where else, Jane, Are on social? Well, janecondon.com okay. is my website. I don't
1: always keep up the dates because they keep postponing them. I'm at Jay Condon 4 at Instagram and I've started making reels and it's it's really fun. Fifteen seconds. Like I said, one about it's it was deer hunting season here on Nantucket. And I just said I said, okay, so I got my vest, but I just want you to know if you confuse me for a deer, you have problems. Yes. Okay. It's just but they're just little quick things. Comedians, we always go back to the trunk of the tree. You'll see that Jerry Seinfeld He's made a gazillion dollars. what does he love to do still? stand up. That's the trunk of the tree and when we can't be doing the trunk of the tree right now because of the pandemic, we'll do the Facebook live shows we'll do podcast, interviewing people in cars as he does. but we always tend to come back to the trunk of the tree because there's nothing like it. And it, I always say half my pay too is listening to my fellow comedians because they're so they're so funny we're all so different we're not really that competitive because everybody's act is different. Yeah. So I will open, middle, or close. Um, some people have an ego about you have to close. And they're like- You'll do whatever. I'll do whatever. I'm a utility fielder. But I, I, I also feel like sometimes they put me in the middle because I'm like the sorbet between courses. I'm a clean comic.
0: <laughs> so, you were so funny, you know. Jane. Well, thank you so much, Jane. Pleasure and thank spending you- time with you. You too. And thanks, everybody, for coming on and listening and hearing about comedy and laughter and we all need it and Jane's superpower and how she got started and it's uh, changing careers and all those things. So uh, everybody give five stars and come see us every Monday and Wednesday at the Kara Golden Show. And thanks again, everyone. Thanks, Jane. Thanks, Kara. Thank you. What a lot of fun. Thanks.